Welcome everyone, Rukhma Abam, Agmar Chasim Atoiva, Gukha Ben Shiar. We have a lot to do tonight. Hayoim, Katsar, Vahamalacham Rubah. The day is short, there's a lot to do. We begin, we're obviously, we're holding in the Asar Simei Tshuva, we're approaching Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur obviously is our, the last chance, last chance to reverse any, any dangerous, any harmful decrees. We know the Chasimah, the seal is not made until Yom Kippur. And obviously the conclusion of Yom Kippur, which is Ne'ilah, is, you know, the final, the last chance. Yaakov Emden tells us that when it comes to Ne'ilah on Yom Kippur, you know, we apply the rule, If not now, then when? It's the last time, it's an and even if a person is weak, he should say, I'm Gibarani, I'm strong, to gird himself, muster up the strength, Rav Yaakov Emden says something very important. He says, if possible, and I'll probably mention again, this again in Neila time, but he says, if possible, a person should try to bring himself to tears when Neila comes. Why? Because we find, if you remember, there was a man by the name of Paro, right? He's a bad guy. And he made a decree, Kalhaben Hayilot Hayorot Any Jewish boy who would be born, you got to throw him into the river. And obviously his daughter wanted to abide by his rules. His daughter knew she's going to see a little baby in the river. She got a, she got a, certainly not can't save the baby. She knows uh, going against her father's decree would be very dangerous. Even uh, the daughter of the king cannot violate her father's decree. Nevertheless, she sees a little baby in the water and she obviously, she wants to ignore it. She wants to look away. But then the Pasuk says, The child was crying. She had mercy. Yaakov Emden says, you see from here, that there are times that even if a person maybe doesn't deserve, and doesn't, is not roy, and is not uh, fit for, to be saved, nevertheless, if God sees that we're crying, you can't ignore a crying child. Says Rabbi Yaakov Emden, What? Force yourself to cry. You, force, you don't have to force yourself. The time is, uh, it's an opportune time. You feel it in the air. And uh, there's a very special thing about tears. Because the Gemara tells us in Brachos, if you look at number two, that Rabbi Lazar said that from the day the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, God locked the gates of prayer. The gates of prayer have been locked. In other words, when we pray, we send the prayers up through the heavens, through the gates, and from the day the temple was destroyed, the gates have been locked. Now, that doesn't mean the prayers can't get in. My front door is also locked, but I could come and I could open it, right? Just because it's locked, it doesn't mean you can't get in. But it's not easy, not everyone could get in, right? Most people can't get into somebody's locked door. So, the Gemara tells us from the day the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed, the gates of prayer have been locked. Says the Gemara, even though the gates of prayer have been locked, the gates of tears are never locked. Which means, when a person cries, gates are always open. Nothing in the way. No impediment. There's no impediment. Gemara brings the Pasuk. Then Hashem says, Listen to my prayer. Do not be silent to my cry. So we see an amazing thing in the Gemara. The Gemara seems to tell us that when it comes to tears, nothing stands in the way. In fact, the Sefer Hasidim says a very interesting concept. 
You know, sometimes we may think, yeah, we're going to daven Tashem, we're going to cry out Tashem, but, you know, we have to deserve to be answered. We have to have some good practices, some good righteous behavior. We have to be tzaddik. If, Hashem, if we're going to daven, we have to have some reason for Hashem to listen to us. And yet the Chasefer Chasidim says it's possible you can have a Russia, a wicked person. He has no masim toivim. He has no good deeds. And nevertheless, Hashem will answer and will give in just by force of his prayer and his crying. Almost like a child comes to a parent and the child's been naughty and the child hasn't been listening and the child doesn't deserve. And you told the child 500 times, look, if you're going you're gonna to misbehave again, I told you. If you're not going to clean up your toys, you're not going to the bar mitzvah, you're not going to the wedding. You told the kid a thousand times. And then finally, the kid just cries and cries, please, I want to go, <laughs> right? And what's the, what's the parent going to say? The parent gives in. That's just the way it is. That's the nature of the father. The father cannot refuse the tears of his son. So Sefer Hasidim says, yeah? I have one that uh, everybody getting answered. Not everybody can answer the river. Uh, yeah, but we're, we're, here we're saying, here we're saying that it's possible for somebody could be completely undeserving, and by the force of his tears, by the force of his supplication, Hashem's going to answer. You say only the first one. You mentioned the first one. First what? What do you mean? The first time that you cried. No, anytime, anytime. I'll tell you something very interesting. We find in the Gemara, there are three types of prayers that are considered extremely effective. Number one, minion. You're down with a minion. Gemara says that when you're down with a minion, the tefillah has some, definitely is accepted in some way. Right? It says Hashem does not despise the tefillah of a minion. So even if a person themselves is not worthy, if they come, they're down with a minion, they're down for something, it does something. Guaranteed. Does something. Minion. Number two, another type of prayer that's considered very effective is a prayer during the ten days of repentance between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Even if you're not, you don't have a minion. In other words, a prayer during the Aser Simei has the power of the prayer during the year with a minion. Obviously, if you have a prayer during Aser Simei with a minion, it's even, it's even better. In fact, you can make the case, you know, one plus one doesn't necessarily equal two. One person could carry 75 pounds. Let's say I could carry 75 pounds, you could carry 75 pounds. Together, we could carry more than 150 pounds. That's, uh, that's right? That's the laws of physics. The synergy, the collective energy of two people is greater than the sum of its parts. So too, minion is powerful. Asarasimei tshuva is powerful. Certainly minion during Asarasimei tshuva a third type of prayer is demise, tears. Right? The Gemara says that Shari Dimalay Ninalo, the gates of tears are not locked. These are three types of prayers the Shilte Gibaram brings down in number four that are considered very powerful. So, certainly, if you're able to combine all three, on Yom Kippur, you have a minion, Sasarasi Mechuva, the demise, very powerful. Is very it powerful. Like most powerful than anything? Maybe. So we know about the story about Midrash, uh, about Esau, when he cried. Correct. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know which is the most powerful. It may be that tears is the most powerful. Sincerity. <laughs> Sincerity. You know, uh, uh, the Svasemis once asked that if um, the gates of tears are never locked, 
So uh, what do you need the door for? <laughs> what do you need it? You only need a door if sometimes you lack it. If you never lack it, well, you need a door. So he says... Only the real pills get it. Yeah, so he says uh, to weed out the insincere tears. You know, sometimes there are sincere tears and there are insincere tears. There also, there also thing says that he, a man shouldn't cry because it's drying his... Uh... We'll see about that. It's a Gemara and Gittin, Daf Ayan. doesn't say you're not supposed to cry. Gemara and Gittin says... Shemayin Advarim... No, dry... It says Hazara. Well, we'll see about that. Okay. We're going to go to number six, because we really have a lot to do today. It's very interesting. Let's, let's make the following analogy. We know tefillah is like what? Tefillah is like a carbon, is like a sacrifice, right? We know the tefillahs are keneged, temidim niskan. Right? Shachris is like the tamet shel shachar. Mincha is like the tamet shel ben arbayim. Marav is keneged. Hector evarim upadaram. The tefillahs are karbanos. Right? They're sacrifices. When you daven, it's like an offering to Hashem. Now, by the way, every offering, there's another aspect of the offering. Whenever you would make an offering, they were put, you would pour. Right? right? Every carbon has libations. Whether you're pouring wine, you're pouring water, Nesachim, right? There's the sacrifice itself, and accompanying the sacrifice, you have the Nesachim. Says Rabbeinu B'chayeh, Parashas Bereshis, that if tefillah, if tefillah is like a sacrifice, then what is the nesach, what is the libation? The tears, the demise that accompany a carbon, that's like the nesach hamayim, or the nesach hayayim. The marshal says it's like nesach hayayim. These are the libations. The libation of the carbon, every carbon has the sacrifice and the pourings, the tears, that's part of the carbon. That's part of the carbon. That's the Nisachayayin, or the Nisachamayim even. In fact, Rabbeinu Yonah tells us that when a person davens with tears, the gates of tears are never locked, and the tears that a person is able to bring out during tefillah correspond to the Nisachamayim. And he even says, who was the one who introduced the concept of Nisachamayim, of Tears in tefillah, Yaakov Avinu. When Yaakov Avinu, the Medrash says, was in Basel, it says he cried so much and he prayed so much. You want to try to figure out how many tears Yaakov let out, how many pourings he poured? If you could figure out how much water is in the sea in Tiberia, then you'll be able to figure out how many tears Yaakov Avinu brought out. In other words, just like we'll never be able to figure out exactly how much water is in the Mate Tiberia, we'll never be able to figure out exactly how many tears Yaakov Avinu poured forth. So really, the one who introduced the concept of Nisach HaMayim, which is the element of tears and prayer, is Yaakov Avinu. Okay? What? What's the reason for? Why was he crying? Why was Yaakov crying? doesn't say. The Medrash doesn't, uh, doesn't say. He's running away from Lavan, perhaps. But the idea is that when a person sort of bolsters his tefillah with demise, with tears, it gives it a certain kayach that the Rebbe Shalom cannot refuse. Okay? That's the introduction to tonight's shir. I just want to point out one more thing. You know, we have the Tachnon. Right after Shemona Esra, you have Tachnon. The Ramban had a Rebbe by the name of Rabbi Huda Bar Yakar who says the whole purpose of Tachnon is... We just davened. We just brought a carbon. But we didn't bring the Nesach HaMayim yet. 
The purpose of Tachnon is designated to be Yorei Demais, to let out tears, and that will accompany the Tefillah of the Shmoneser. Okay, that's the introduction to the Shir. Again, the introduction is that especially we said... that you don't have Tachnon, but you don't have Nesach Not every carbon had Nesach Not every carbon had Nesach Amayim. Can I ask you a question? When we say that Hashem wants you to daven, right? Yeah. What is that for yourself, for things that you want, for things that you maybe... We'll have to talk about it at a different time. What do you mean? What, what, what are you davening? What, what, what is davening? What does He want you to do? Are you going to say you want something really bad? Are you allowed to daven for that, that you want it bad? Yeah. Try it? Yes or no? Yeah. Yes? We'll talk about that. We're gonna, we have a lot to do. We're going to have to stay on a very narrow track tonight. Very narrow track, okay? I hope we have a wide end. Narrow track, but uh, okay. So again, the idea that we're saying is that, that when a person is able to be Yorei Demois, when a person is able to bring out tears, that is a very powerful way to have your Tfilos accepted. The Yaakov Emden specifically mentions tears by Ne'ilah, and tears is a way of eliciting God's mercy, like we find that when Moshe Rabbeinu, the baby, was crying, Basya had mercy on him, despite the fact that she knew her father would not want, him, would not want her to save him. Okay, now we're veering, even though we're on a narrow track, we're making a very sharp left-hand turn to the end of this week's parsha. The end of this week's parsha, we have eight very interesting pesukim. And the, the beginning, if you look at the eighth to last pasuk of the Torah, V'zoy Sabracha. It's the parsha that we're not leaning at the Shabbos, but <coughs> Monday and Thursday we're leaning with Zosah Bracha, so that's the parsha that's upon us right now. All right? The puzzle, the eighth to last puzzle says the following Vayamas Sham Moshe Eved Hashem. Moshe, the faithful servant of God, died. And the question is who wrote these words? Presumably, we know the Torah is Zechru Tairas Moshe. It's Moshe's Torah. And presumably, Moshe wrote this also. So, could someone please tell me? Moshe's writing, and Moshe, the servant of Hashem, died. Was he alive when he wrote that? A dead, a dead man can't write, right? That, that we know. So he was alive. And so he, a living man, he's writing, he died. Biggest lie in the world. Right? We make a bracha of Nasa Lanu Tairas Emes. God gave us. Besides this shul, he gave us a true Torah. And he gave us a true Torah. And here, the eighth to last pasuk is, Moshe Moshe, Moshe died. What do you mean, Moshe? Who wrote that? Moshe, Moshe wrote a Shekhar in the Torah. Oh, and they buried him. Yeah, they buried him. Was he alive when they wrote that? And no one knows where he's buried. He's walking around, you know, writing. And uh, Moshe died, and they buried him, and no one knows, knows where he's buried until this very day. And he's buried opposite Baal Pa'ar. A living man wrote that in the Torah. So Rashi says, look at number 10. Efshir met Moshe Mace, the Kasav Moshe. Is it possible that Moshe died? And he wrote, Moshe died? Until the eighth to last pasuk in the Torah, Moshe wrote, From here on on, Kasav Yehoshua. Yehoshua ben Nun wrote the last eight pasukim. That's the opinion of the Tanakhama, and in the Gemara, that's the opinion of Rabbi Huda. That Moshe did not write the last eight pasukim in the Torah. Can you imagine? Did he hold the opinion that he wrote it? What? 
Tail? How do you hold the position? Yes. Yeah. I think it's a big machlokas. Very good. So that's the opinion of Rabbi Huda that Moshe Rabbeinu could not have written a lie in the Torah, and therefore the last day of Pesukim were written by Yehoshua. Rabbi Meir Oimer. What? No, Rishua wrote it after he died. What's very difficult is that Yoshua was not on the level of Moshe, and what Yoshua wrote in Sefer Yeshua was on the level of Nevi'im. So to say that the last day of Sukkim was written by someone other than Moshe is very problematic. But that's what Rabbi Huda says. Constatation of the fact that what happened that Moshe died and buried him. But but to give the Torah the stat, who to, who wrote the first Torah? Presumably we always we always believe it's a, the Moshe, the Moshe gave us the Torah, and yet and yet Rabbi Huda holds that no the last day of Yeshua wrote, and we'll see we're gonna have to speak about that what that means. Another argument with respect to that that after Moshe put his hands on Yeshua and he was no longer. Uh, the supreme leader of the Bnei Yisrael, that he basically was not considered as living, because he, he had asked Hashem to let him stay on. And then he couldn't take it. He said, Moshe Rabbeinu said, uh, um, worse, one act, one jealousy is worse than many deaths. Okay. Right. But that's the opinion of Rabbi Huda. The last day Pesukim were written by Yoshua Rav Meir, Rav Meir says, no. You're going to tell me Moshe Rabbeinu did not write the last day of Sukkim? You know what that means? And uh, at the end of the Torah, it says Moshe went to the Levium and he said, Take this Torah. Now that Torah that Moshe is presenting to the Levium, I have two Levium here. Did it have the last day of Sukkim? Obviously not, if Moshe didn't write it. That means Moshe is saying, take this Sefer Torah. It's not a Sefer Torah. If a Sefer Torah is missing one letter, is it kosher? No, is it a Sefer Torah? It's not a Sefer Torah. So how can Moshe say, take this Sefer Torah? So says Reb Meir, "Efshir sefer Torah chaser klum v'hu omer lekoach sefer Torah zeh ela hakadosh baruch hu oimer." God dictated the Torah to Moshe. He said, "Moshe, write this." O Moshe kaisev bedema. Moshe wrote it with tears. Says Reb Meir, "Now let me tell you what happened with the last day of Sukkim. God dictated the Torah to Moshe. He said, "Moshe, write vayamas." Moshe wrote. But Moshe said, no, 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 I'm not using it. I'm using tears. He wrote it. Well, we'll see what that means. Moshe did not write the, the last day psukim in the regular way. He wrote it bedema. He wrote it with tears. Now, the Gemara Baba Basra, I'll speak it out outside, says there is an interesting halacha about the last day psukim that you don't find anywhere else in the Torah. Anywhere else in the Torah, let's say, you know, a guest walks into Shul and you want to give him an aliyah. So you can make it a hosafa, right? You can make an extra aliyah. And you stop, oh, Yamoid, the Pliny Ben Pliny Asiri, you know, you give as many alias as you want. But when you get to the last day psukim in the Torah, you're not allowed to make any breaks in the last day psukim. So the Gemara says, why? What's different about the last day psukim? It must be like the opinion that the last day psukim Yehoshua wrote and not Moshe, and to symbolize and to make clear that the last day psukim are different, you're not allowed to make any hefsek in the last day psukim. Then the Gemara says, no. It could be Moshe wrote the last day of Sukkim. If this halacha that you're not to make any interruption fits in, even according to the opinion that Moshe wrote the last day of Sukkim, but since he wrote it in a different way, since he wrote it bedema with tears, so that would also explain why you can't make a hefsek. But it's clear that the last day of Sukkim are different than any of the other Sukkim. 
Says Mizrahi, we've quoted him many times. What does it mean? What is the opinion exactly? At least the opinion of Rameir. That Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the last Eipsuk with tears. What does that mean? Mizrahi says, He didn't use ink. That's the simple explanation. In other words, you know, they say the Chsam Soifer, every Yom Kippur, he would fill up a cup with tears. And when it came to the Suda Sam of Sekes, he would dip the bread in tears. You know, great people, they're able to cry a lot. Right? We're, we're lucky if we could squeeze out, you know, get a little teary. You know, we make believe we cry, we take out a tissue. Right? It's hard to squeeze out one tear. But great people, they're able to cry a lot. So, says Mizrahi, Moshe did not write the last eight Sukkim with ink. You know, he used tears. In fact, this fits very good into... Uh, his tears? He, yeah, his tears. The Gemara says that Moshe's face shone. But he had a special tear? How you can write a tear? Okay, good question. That, that's what the Mizrahi says. That's what the Mizrahi says, that he wrote it with tears. Why did he write it with tears? Listen carefully to what the Mizrahi says. Because he wanted the last eight psukim to be different. He wanted it to be that when you read the last eight psukim, you're not to interrupt. So therefore, he intentionally wrote it with tears so that they should have a different halacha and you should not be able to interrupt the last eight psukim. That's what the Mizrahi says. Comes along Maral. Comes along, what does that mean? He didn't want you to make an interruption and therefore he wrote it with tears? That's, he didn't write, that's not what the Gemara says. The Gemara doesn't say that he didn't want, he wanted the halacha to be that you can't make an interruption, therefore he intentionally wrote it differently. It's just the opposite. Because he wrote it differently for whatever reason, therefore the halacha developed that you're now to make an interruption. Okay, whether you get that question or not, but the main question that the, the Gorari brings up is that Gabi seems to be bothered by it. Let me ask you a question. Let's say, you know, you're a sofa. David, you ever want to be a sofa? You're a sofa, you decide one day you're going to be a sofa for a few weeks. And you say, yeah, the ink? Yeah, ink. Who needs ink? I'm going to cry a little bit. And I'm going to write a couple of words with tears. Anybody know what's the halachic status of that Sefer Torah? It's a puzzle. You can't write a Sefer Torah with tears. So what's the... Uh, What's the Gurari talk? What's the Mizrahi talking about? That Moshe wrote the last Eipsukim with tears, then he wrote a puzzle Sefer Torah. It's no, imagine if he wrote it with crayons. It's no different. Very nice. He's a big tzaddik and he has holy tears, and we'll sell the tears in in, in on Gift World. And we'll market them, right? There's a big skula to drink the tears of a big tzaddik, and everyone's going. Very nice. But it's a puzzle Sefer Torah, right? Maybe it's a new a new fad. We'll sell the tears of tzaddikim, right? What? Better than the air. Miracles. It turned into ink? I don't know. But, but what is it? You can't write, you can't write, you can make miracles. Miracles are very nice, but they don't change the halacha. You need to use ink. You need to use ink. So the Gorari says something amazing. Gorari says, let me ask you a question. According to Rav Meir, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the last eight psukim in the Torah. With what did he write it? Tears. Yeah, but Moshe still wrote something that's not true. Moshe wrote, Moshe. Moshe died. But it's not true. How could, I don't care what he wrote it with. He could write it with magic marker. He could write it with permanent marker. He could write it with a paintbrush. He could write it with tears. How could he write something that's not true? Says the Gorarie, uh, following. It doesn't mean he wrote it with tears. He wrote it, 
if it, if it wanted to say he wrote it with tears, it would have said, Bidema ois, with tears. Bidema doesn't mean with tears. Bidema means while he was crying. Like Hazorim Bidema, Berina those who plant with tears. What does it mean, those who plant with tears? They, instead of putting seeds in the ground, they put tears in the ground? No, it means as they're putting the seeds in the ground, they're crying. So when it says Moshe wrote it with tears, it means Moshe wrote it with ink, but because it was such a sad episode, and because he had a right that he was dying, he wrote it while he was crying. So that's what it means, Bedema. Not that he wrote it with the ingredient in his, he put on his quill tears, he put on his quill ink, but he wrote it while he was crying. Ask the Maral, how can you write a lie? How can you write, Moshe died? Okay, this is, a, this is the, the meat of the shear. You ready? He's not lying. Because since he was crying, that was the beginning of his death. Oh. Says Maral, because he was crying, that was the beginning of his death. So it's true. He could write, Vayama Shamash, Shamasha died. Because he was dying. That was the Haskala Samisa. Yeah, but he knew that he was going to die. Yeah, but you can't write something that didn't happen. Yeah, but he knew that he was going to die. You tell God, God told him, go to the mountain. But dying doesn't mean dying. He wasn't dead. He was dying. He was you're going to die over there. In a way, he was dead. Some of him had died. Like he said before, when Hashem said, even Hashem said, Moshe said, Ani Yotzev Nechnas. Yeah. He's like he was losing his power already. No, he, it said. He said, I can't. Oh, Yeah, right. He's already Correct. losing his. And he lost a little bit. Or as soon as he anointed Yeshua, he lost some of his authority he forgot. Hashem gave him a, like a. But those are the words of Mara. That it was because he was crying, that was the beginning of his death. Okay? Remember those words? We're going to come back to that. We're going to take a brief. Uh, excuse the expression. We're going to have like a little. Not a commercial, but um, we're making a right, quick, sharp right turn. Okay? Sharp right turn, but we're going to come back. Again, the morale, let's just remember that. The morale says that what does it mean that Moshe wrote the Torah with tears? It doesn't mean he used tears, it means he was crying when he wrote it. But, so how could he write he was dying? Since he was crying, that was the beginning of his death, and we'll explain that. Comes along the Vilna Gain. The Vilna Gain says something incredible. So Nagain asks, he says, both of these opinions are very difficult to understand. Both Rabbi Huda and Rav Meir. Rabbi Huda says that Yehoshua ben Nun wrote the, the last Eip Sokim. How could that be? Moshe tells the Bnei Levi, take this Sefer Torah. What, the Torah is missing Eip Sokim? And what about, and, and uh, Rav Meir also doesn't make any sense. Rav Meir says Moshe wrote it with tears? What do you mean he wrote it with tears? Not a kosher Sefer Torah. So listen to what, listen to what the, the Gra says. What's the problem? Right? We, we asked that how can Moshe write by Moshe that Moshe died? But he didn't die yet. What's the problem? The Gemara tells us that the Torah was given in what generation of the world? Anybody know? The 26th generation. 974. Did, now, did the Torah exist? Before the Torah was given? Yeah. yeah. Did the Torah exist before the creation of the world? Yeah. yeah. Right? Like we say every morning, Davar Siva Dar. God commanded the Torah after a thousand generations. That means 974 generations before the world was created, there was a Torah. 
Could somebody please tell me what it said in that Torah? It said, In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. How could God write down the Torah if it didn't happen? It's false. It said that uh, the people of the Dar HaMabal would sin and God would bring a flood. It's false. Why is false? Because how could it say God brought a flood? He didn't bring a flood. He will bring a flood in the future, but he can't write it. Yeah, but for God, there's no time. God is not limited by time. He's not limited by time. forward, backwards, upwards. He's everywhere. So how could it say in the past tense that he did it already? In the if you want to say it is, if you want to say it is, it's now, it's now, now, Fine. now, a thousand years from now. So then, so then it shouldn't say it in the past. It shouldn't say it in the tense that it's in. It should just say... You're saying and I'm destroying. Yeah, I hear you saying. You're right, you're right. God, God created time, so he's beyond time. But beyond time means it's all the same. So why would it specifically say it in the past? So let's... And for us, it happened in the past. What do you mean for us? There is no us. What do you mean there was no us? When he wrote it, before the world was created, there was... A... Right, but he wrote... When How he... could he wrote... In the beginning, God created. He didn't create. There was no beginning. It didn't happen yet. Right. God's going to write Korach's rebellion against Moshe before it happened? No, but for God there is no beginning or end. But for us there is. And Lord, for us, that's Yeah, but what about the child? The pirat. Okay. Okay. Listen to what the Vilna Gain says. When we say that the Torah existed before the world was created, it doesn't mean doesn't mean that. Obviously, God's not going to write something that didn't happen yet. What it means is, how do we know that we have to make Berchas HaTorah every day? How do we know that before we learn, we have to make Berchas HaTorah? There's a postic that says, Kishem Hashem Ekra, when you read the name of God, Havu you have to praise Hashem. So when you read the name of God, you need to praise Hashem. What does that have to do with Berchas HaTorah? The Torah is the name of Hashem. The 600,000 letters of the Torah are different combinations, permutations of Hashem's name. Okay, so the Torah that existed before the world was created was these 600,000 letters. How was it arranged? Only God knew. God knew how to arrange the Torah, how to combine the letters in a way that it represents Hashem's name. And as the events happened, God would tell Moshe, okay, write the following, combine the letters like this, Bereshus, Barat, right? And as things happened, God sort of allowed the revealed part of the Torah to come to the world. So when we say the Torah existed before the world was created, it means these letters existed. But as things developed, God showed the Moshe how to arrange the letters. So it says the Vilna Gon, the word Dema, the word, when it's saying Moshe wrote a Bedema, Dema doesn't only mean tears. Dema means a mixture. It's also sweat. Like a, a, like yeah? A bedima, that means you, you're walking out. You're doing something very Hurst says that the tears are the sweat of the soul. So. <laughs> but anyway, Dema in Mishnayas means when you have Truma, that, right, Truma, if a non-Kohen eats Truma, he's Chayav Misa. What if Truma falls into Chulen, regular food? So it depends. It, it, in a certain percentage, it becomes batel, it becomes nullified. If it's less than a certain percentage, it prohibits the whole mixture. When shuma falls into chulen, it's called dema. In fact, in chumash, dema is called shuma. Shuma is called dema. There's a pasuk malei ascha v'dimacha loisa acher. Malei ascha means bikurim v'dimacha, 
and your tears, it doesn't mean tears, and your truma, don't delay. So the word dema means a mixture. Says the Vilna Gain, there is no machlokes at all between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir. Everyone agrees, Yehoshua Benun wrote the last day Pesukim. Everyone agrees, Moshe wrote the last day Pesukim. Uh, how could that be? Like this. The whole Torah is the names of Hashem. Moshe was told and instructed by Hashem how to put the letters together. When it came to the last day Pesukim, what happened? Moshe obviously can't put the letters together. Vayam Hashem, Moshe, Ever Hashem. So what did Moshe do? He wrote it bedema. He wrote it mixture. He wrote it in a discombobulated way, the way it existed in, by Hashem before the God gave us the Torah. So Moshe wrote the entire Sefer Torah. The whole Torah until the last day of and the last day of he wrote Bedema. Bedema means he didn't formulate the words. He left it as the secret combination of the name of Hashem. Yeshua then, after Moshe died, he figured out, Hashem told him, how to put the words together. So the letters it's, together. The letters together. The letters together. Um, the letters are... Yeah. Well, the letters together. He, he could have wrote... So no, in other words, when Moshe presented the Shevet Levi, the Sefer Torah, was it missing the last Sefer Sukkim? Chas v'shom. The last Sefer Sukkim were there. The letters were there. But, and if you want to know, how would the Jewish people have read that Sefer Torah? They would have read it, the last Sefer Sukkim, in a discombobulated way. They wouldn't have known. Yehoshua ben Nun, it was revealed to him how to formulate the last eight. But isn't it the Pasul? Isn't it the No. Not in the right order. It's not going to be Pasul? It's only Pasul when that is revealed to the world. But before it's revealed to the world, that is the Torah. That is the Torah as of this, as a, as of this moment. That is the way God has revealed the Torah. Correct. And uh, meaning that aspect of the Torah had not been given yet. Okay? It's an amazing thing. The Gra says, there's no machlokis at all between Rebbe Meir and Rebbe Huda. All agree the last day Pesukim, Moshe wrote. All agree Yehoshua wrote it. So how was that an argument? Moshe, they're just pointing out, there's a concept, Elu ve'elu de'velekim chayim. Rabbi Huda is pointing out the idea that Moshe could not actually write the revealed part because he can't write Vayam Hashem Moshe if it didn't happen. And Rameir is pointing out, well, he ha- but he had to write something, otherwise it would have been a Sefer Torah apostle. And therefore, Yeho- therefore um, Moshe wrote the discombobulated letters, Yehoshua formulated them. Okay? Moshe gave the Levim a Torah. That's the exact way we have the Torah now, except the last eight psukim, there were letters that were unformulated. That's what he gave the Sheva Levi. He gave this before. Correct. But when the Levi opened the book, they read it. It's different already? No, when they they opened the book, I think the Vilnagon says they read it. And it was fixed. No, but no, after, before Moshe died, they read it. It was a different Sefer Torah than our Sefer Torah today. So it's Pasul. No, at that time, that's the Torah. What? Okay. Back to the Maral. You ready? Ready for this? Says Maral. Question? Yeah. Demai is Suffolk Maisar. Dema, Demai is spelled Dalad Mem Aleph Yud. That's Suffolk Maisar. Right? And I'm Aretz, if you don't know, the status of his food, we say it's demai, it's a suffake. Presumably he took it up, but he's up. Dema is when it's mixed. Two different words, they sound almost the same, but it's, uh, 
Demai is suffix, Demai is mixed. Back to Maral. Maral says that Moshe didn't write it with tears, Moshe wrote it with ink, but he wrote it while he was crying. How could he write, and Moshe died? The answer is because he was crying, it's as if he began to, uh, to pass away already. What does this mean? I was thinking a little bit, what exactly, what are tears? Where do they come from? Where, where, does, where does the liquid come from? Does it come just you have a gland in your eye that produces... Where, do the, where, does, the liquid, where does the moisture come from? Maral says something very interesting in a couple of places. He says that tears are really the beginning of the, the body losing its kayak. When a person lets out tears, he's losing a certain element of strength, of kayak. It's like the breakdown of the guf. I didn't really understand why exactly. Okay, you're releasing anxiety, tension, right? Psychologists would tell you it's good to let out your emotions. I want to know where, according to the Torah, do the tears, where does that liquid come from? You're not in control, you're like losing Says Achsam Seifer. There's a Pasuk in Tanakh. I pour out my soul before God. Could somebody please tell me, what do you mean I pour out my soul before God? Then what, you're dead? What does it mean to pour out your soul before God? How do you pour out your soul before Hashem? Right? You ever hear, I poured out my soul. How do you pour out your soul? You take your soul and you put it in a cup? Or, Shivchi kamayim libech. Pour out like water my heart. What do you mean pour out my heart? It's a very nice expression to pour out your heart. What does it mean? You make a heart transplant and you pour it out? You, know, you want to know where tears come from? Every person, where is the main blood of the body? In the heart. It's called Dama Nefesh. The blood of the heart is Dama Nefesh. When a person cries, the blood of the heart is transformed into tears. And it's a type of... Mis- you're literally giving up your Nefesh. In a way, you're giving up your living force. The tears, that's what he says. The tears of the eyes come from the blood of the heart. Look at number 20. Chassam Sefer says, he says, he takes it for granted. He takes it as a davar pasha. He says, Yadua, ki demais enayim bais midam halev. The tears of the eyes come from the blood of the heart. Hamishapich lamayim, that's transformed into water, ayudei daiga v'shivrin ruach. By, through worry and a broken heart. Like the Pasuk says, I pour out my soul before God. What do you mean I pour out my soul? What it means is if a person's able to cry, he's pouring out his soul. Why is he pouring out his soul? Because he's taking the blood of the heart, he's transforming the blood of the heart, that's his nefesh, and he's letting it out. He's pouring out his soul in front of God because his soul, the blood of the heart is his soul. The blood of the heart is the soul. And his, the tears are being transformed from his soul. When a person says, Shivchi kamayim libech, you're pouring out your heart. What do you mean you're pouring out? Yeah, you're pouring out your heart. You're literally pouring out your heart. How? Because your heart, the blood of the heart is being transformed into tears. You're literally pouring out your heart. So we have a little bit of a better understanding what the maral means. That once Moshe Rabbeinu started davening, that was the beginning of his Misa. Why is that the beginning of his Misa? Because tears are literally silo kanefesh. In a way, it's a type of mesiras nefesh. It's a way, your soul is departing in a way. It's, 
The ultimate Mesiras Nefesh. It's the ultimate way, ultimate sacrifice to Hashem. You're, you, can't, you can't literally be Moser Nefesh, but when a person cries, he's saying, Hashem, help me out. I'll give, I give you everything. Just help me. You're giving your heart to God. How do you give your heart to God? The tears is a transformation of the blood of the heart, says the Chassam Sof. Very, another very interesting thing you were talking before. The Gemara says eight things. You know, the, the Rambam says, what is the, the Kayach Adam is the Zara, person's seed is the main force, the main Kayach of a person. The Gemara says that when a person cries, it's Mamayi Hazara. Because the tears somehow are a way of sapping, it's the critical energy of the body you're giving over to the Rabbanu the core energy, the core energy, the heart, the lave, you can't give your lave to Hashem. Chassam Sofer says the tears somehow, you're actually transforming whatever element of your heart you can, and you're giving it to Hashem. And you're not supposed to do that? No, you are supposed to do that. Rabbi Isai, if you take, if you look at the, when the Torah talks about Yom Kippur, it says, Ki bayom hazeh yechaper aleichem, right? Ki bayom hazeh. Point out, ki bayom hazei chaper aleichem is Rashi Tevos bechia. It's one of the main objectives of Yom Kippur, like we saw from Rabbi Yaakov Emden. That's one of the the avod of Yom Kippur, where the shari demois leininalu. The gates of tears are never locked. Why are they never locked? Because Maral says that um, when the Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, Beis Hamikdash represents all type of growth and development and building. When a person lets out tears, it's actually the greatest form. You're giving your entire body. You're giving your heart to the Baruch We'll have to elaborate on that a different time. Let's just uh, point out a few more things. Yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu wrote the last eight Pesukim. The question is, how could he write Pesukim that didn't happen yet? So his point is, since he was crying, that was the beginning of his Misa. And we're explaining, we're explaining, what that means is, because, like Chassam Sofer says, when a person cries, that's the Dama Nefesh. And you're literally, like the Pasuk says, Shifchi Kamayim Libech, where he says, Ve'eshbech es nafshi lefnei Hashem. When a person cries, you're literally giving your Nefesh to the Rebbein Shalom. That's the beginning of the, of the Misa. It's Silak HaNefesh. The Bechia, the Demoist, was Silak HaNefesh. That was uh, his, the beginning of his soul departing. Rabbi Yonason Ibishit says something very interesting. Remember, we learned in the beginning of the Shir that from the time that the base of Migdash was destroyed, the gates of tears have been locked. Says Rabbi Yonason Ibishit. That means if we were to go up into space, we would see a big gate, yeah, with hundreds and thousands of tefillos just like hanging in midair, you know, trying to get in. Let me in, let me in. And they're not going through. Says Rabbi Yonason Ibishit, but we know the gates of tears are never locked. So you know what that means, he says? If a person is able to dive in one tefillah with tears, the, the tefillah of tears schleps along. All the thousands of tefillahs a person may have said in his life without kavana, the tefillah of tears brings all of those, he says, years worth of prayer. Years worth of prayer. That, that tefillah of demais is able to schlep along all of those demais. There's a certain amount that you need to drive. <coughs> Even a little bit is good. Even one tear, right? Point it out. Ace of, right? Three, three one is also good. But, but the question is, um, 
You emphasize that Yeah. It's not accurate. So what does it mean? It does, no, no. The Miri says, by the way, Miri says it doesn't mean you can't get through. It doesn't mean you can't get through. It just means it's not easy to get through. It's not easy to get through. Let's just end off with the following thing. We brought down from many sources that a tefillah is like a carbon, and what's the nisachamayim? The demos, the tears of the nisachamayim. Who who remembers? Who was the first one to institute? The Nisachamayim of tears? Yaakov. Yaakov Avinu. Torah tells us we have three Yamim Tovim. Each one is connected to one of the others. Avram Avinu is Pesach. Yitzchak is Shavuos. Yaakov Avinu. Shenemar. The Yaakov. Vayav Yaakov Sukosa, right? Yaakov can. But it's very interesting. Not only was Yaakov Niskan Sukkos, but he's also. What mitzvah do we have on. Uh, on the main, uh, one of the main mitzvahs of Sukkot is the Nisachamayim. Who instituted that? Yaakov Avinu. Through what? Through his demos of tefillah. So perhaps we find that there's, there's a very big link between Yom Kippur and, and Sukkot. We find there's an idea that the tshuva, the simcha of Sukkot is really the happiness of achieving full kapar on Yom Kippur. So perhaps we could suggest that the whole idea of Nisachamayim on Sukkot is really all those demos, all those tears that we let out on Yom Kippur, and all the tshuva that we do on Yom Kippur, in sadness and in sorrow, for Zohar to do a full tshuva, then when, when Sukkot comes, we're able, Hazorim Bedima, Berina All those tears, the Yerushalayim gives us a special mitzvah of Nisach HaMayim, we're able to rejoice in the closeness we've achieved over the Yom Noraim, and we're able to transform that into tremendous simcha, as Baruch Hashem, if we uh, take, uh, take the opportunity and take advantage of the Yom Naram to do proper tshuva, all those tears, all those bechios, which Rabbeinu Bechaye and the Marsha and Rabbeinu Yonah told us are the Nisach HaMayim, Taka, they are the Nisach HaMayim on Sukkot, and that's the simcha we have on Sukkot. Rabbi Yisai, Gemara Chasim Mataiva, Gukabensha.